We uh, there's not a rule that you have to do, use the three subs. You don't find us competitive. Um, he's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Alrighty, welcome back to the 34th episode of the third sub. Uh, most likely, if you are here, you were, you did catch our 33rd episode. So we want to thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to that one. And uh, you know, we're we're just gonna be in this. We split our episode into two parts. Our CPL preview ran along, so we split it into, into the four teams in the first part and the four teams in the second part with our special prediction. So check that out well you're at the right place so without further ado we'll get right back to where we left off in the 33rd episode well i guess now on that note let's move on to our hometown team at least the team i'm probably along with forge i'm most familiar with in terms of what i've seen play out live and on on tv and whatnot and following closely in interviews and whatnot i think it's pacific fc those are our West Coast team. They're the team, at least we cover primarily along with Forge on BTS. So Pacific, Sam, how are you feeling about Pacific ahead of this year? Well, you know, they've, they've not only made some moves, but you're going to have a couple players, you know, kind of coming back that are looking to make a splash or, you know, improve on last season. And so I think as, as much as any team this off season, Pacific looks really poised to kind of enter that top echelon of CPL teams this season. So I'm very, very excited for this tournament and think there's, you know, sky's the limit potential wise. Well, I do wonder, I'll put this question out first. It's in our talking points for, mm-hmm. for CPL teams. They're the only team with the new coach. If you're not counting Atletico, they're the only first historic Ken PL first was first team to sack a coach, first team to hire a new coach. They have Pa Moduka, great leader. Um, he has assistant assistant under his belt for Cincinnati for a year. Uh, was an assistant with the Whitecaps uh, FC2. He's got some experience. What do you expect from Pamadou Khan? Uh, do you think that's going to be a good hiring for Pacific? I mean, I'm a big fan of Khan, what he can bring. And from what I've talked of the Pacific players, I spoke to them. They said they really like Khan, what he can what he can bring. So, Sam, are you, you sold on Khan as a head coach? Well, what I think is great in comparison to last season for Pacific is that by bringing in Khan, I think you no longer have to worry about having a culture and attitude problem within the team. Like mm-hmm. he is a, he is a player's coach through and through, and he's going to instill a professional and, but also like positive and fun environment. You, you see that we saw with the white caps, we saw in his assistant coaching oh, role brought- of WFC two. It's this mix of like, I'm going to joke with you and have fun, but also you better work your bag off because we take this seriously. Like it's that great mix of the two. Well, Well, there's a reason why Ka took Alfonso Davies really under his wing before Kai Kamara as well came and did the same. And same with Theo Barrett for a bit. I mean, Theo Barrett was more under Kai Kamara, but also with Pamu Ka, like, you know, Ka really took care of these, these youngsters, especially, some of, some of the younger black players on the Whitecaps, he was a really good role model for them. He was kind of that, you know, typical, you know, that African uncle kind of vibes where he was really just, he takes care of these young guys, but he's also, he knows how to be stern with them and push them, but he also knows how to give them 
you know, this, this tough, the tough love and give them praise and whatnot. And I think as a head coach, it's going to be huge for, for a lot of the Pacific youngsters, especially as a young team, he's going to really, you know, I, I feel like he's going to take care of these young players. I feel like personally Ka as a player's head coach is an excellent choice. And I think tactically we'll see where he's at as the, the season goes along. Cause you know, I just hear all these stories about, I think Alfonso Davies's first head training camp. He was like 15. He was terrified. And Pamaduka just came up to him and started messing with them. And like, you know, started talking to him and made him feel really at ease. I think of a lot of the youngsters, like Pacific's the youngest team in the league by a country mile, you know, it's going to be huge, especially to help some of these players grow, but also give that professional experience. And what I like about him most is that he's familiar with the North American game. With Silberbauer last year, sometimes he just seemed too out of his depth and he was kind of lost about this whole North American adventure. Whereas Kaz been there, he's been in Portland, been in Vancouver and been to Cincinnati. He knows MLS and he knows North America. So for, from all those reasons, I think he's going to be a big signing as a head coach, kind of as a people's head coach, but also as a, you know, as a tactical head coach. I think there's, there's no doubt from what I've heard from people close with Pacific, someone like James Merriman, who was temporarily the, the whatchamacallit during the draft, the interim head coach. He's a very sharp tactical mind. He was with the Whitecaps Academy. People I know who played in the Academy really liked James Merriman. They thought he, was, he could have easily stayed in the Whitecaps and maybe, you know, moved up the ranks a bit more. So I think the Merriman Kadu, I'm excited to what they can bring to Pacific. Yeah. And I think if there, if there is, you know, questions about Ka, it's just how does he, you know, how does he deal with in-game tactics? How does he deal with, you know, set up against, there are some, there's some pretty sharp, you know, tactical minds in the CPL. So I think the, you know, the player motivation and the player management aspect, there's absolutely no questions. It's just, it's going to be interesting to see how Pacific sets up and whether or not tactically they can also get the most out of their players. But I, with that, do we want to move on to some individual players? And, and I kind of want to start on, Oh, do you want to, you want to touch well, on, was on a say, little formation talk? Yeah, I was going to say, do we, uh, well, before we talk about players, do we think 4-3-3 or 4-4-2 for Pacific? What are you feeling, Sam? I don't know. I'm kind of team 4-3-3, but I do wonder about a 4-4-2 with reigning lead. I guess, what would I call them? Runner up golden boot winner, Taryn Campbell. And one of the best signings, at least from what people have said in Alejandro Diaz, do we see them in a front two? Or are we going to see them? play half each per game like what do you is the 442 or the 433 the way to go for you yeah it's a really good question because if you ask about that just as like a general philosophical question i'm all in on the 433 like i i would choose that formation every day of the week but then you say hey you know Taryn Campbell and Alejandro Diaz together up front. What do you think about that? Oh, and that's... all of a sudden, my mind has kind of changed. I go, well, you know, I don't love the 4-4-2, but hey, with those two up top, maybe you can persuade me. And so I don't like I'm the... like, I'm so torn, right? And I think I have to It reminds to go... me of the Whitecaps in a way, because it's like the whole Cavallini yeah. Montero Ricketts thing, or Reyna thing. Do you play one of them in a front three or do you put them two of them together in a front two and that's where I kind of feel with Diaz and Campbell and I think in the case of Diaz and Campbell you know if those guys look really good in training together then you have to do that you have Mm -hmm. to embrace the strength of your squad you know and you can't can't win matches without scoring goals and so as much as, you know, maybe from just an overall footballing perspective, I'm, I'm a fan of the 4-3-3. I think 
you have to embrace your strengths and, and therefore 4-4-2 might actually make more sense. Yeah, well, it's tough for the 4-4-2 because I think Campbell has to start after the season he's had. I think that would be criminal to have him on the bench. But at the same time, Diaz, if he ends up being as advertised, like you can't leave him out early either. And you can't have him only play 20, 30 minutes a game. And you can't bring him on in the 45-minute for Campbell. So do you start a 4-3-3 and do you switch at halftime for 4-4-2? So for me, I'm curious to see if Pacific plays a 3-5-2. I'm going to put that out there right now because if you look at it, they're set up for a 3-5-2. You got Caden yeah. Chong, who's one of the best attacking right backs in CPL. You got Marcel de Jong, who's always been one of the best attacking left backs at what he does. And he can step up into midfield in the 3-5-2. You got Thomas Meyer-Jagur and uh, Lucas McNaughton. I mean, McNaughton was one of the, he was just a solid center back for Pacific last year. And Thomas Meyer-Jagur, for my money, one of the most underrated signings in the CPL. I was, you know, before I heard, before did it started trialing with the Whitecaps, I wanted the Whitecaps to look at TMG and sign him or at least trial him because, you know, he's a, quality defender for Ottawa Fury. He's only 21, but he's just so mobile. He's an excellent passer. He, he gets to ground very well. Like he's just going to be a solid piece. So I wonder, are we going to see someone like Jamar? I think, is it Jamar Dixon? I don't want to mispronounce. Yeah, it's Jamar Dixon, uh, a, a midfield, a defensive midfielder who can play center back because he is in a lot of the projected Pacific 11s. Personally, I don't have him in mind, but do I see, I could see him playing as a third center back slash midfielder in a, Three five two, allowing you to play, you know, a midfield pivot of say, you know, Noah Verhoeven and you know Marco Bustos and or not. Sorry, that just that's no, it's atrocious. So sorry. If in a three five two would be Noah Verhoeven and say like Alessandro Horiapur with the Bustos as a ten under Diaz and you know Campbell. Obviously, that leaves out Blasco, Victor Blasco, who is again a really underrated player for me and I'd want him to start but again having a Blasco off the bench wouldn't be the worst thing to have having you know some of these guys off the bench I mean Matthew Baldissimo's midfield depth off the bench having you know Jordan Haynes as a, a left back option having you know Zachary Verhoeven as an option off the bench isn't the worst depth to have so I do wonder if a 3-5-2 could be it for uh, Pacific. It does, fe- it does feel like they've got a bit of a, a potential issue tactically where you know, some of the formations where you want to play, uh, you want to play Campbell and Diaz up front, maybe doesn't leave like a great perfect fit for Bustos underneath that. So mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see how they, they navigate that. And, you know, say if you play a three, five, two, I just don't know if, you know, Bustos fits in perfectly. And then, as you said, you know, you're maybe leaving Victor Blasco on the bench. And so there's, there's some, you know, there's some tactical questions, but these are all great problems to have when you, when you feel like you have too many quality players for your squad and you're going to struggle to fit them all in. I guess kind of on that, I mean, I have him written, I have this written down. I do want to talk about Zachary Verhoeven, but I can wait because he is a unique conundrum for the Pacific to have, at least if we're talking about players who remain, obviously guys you bring in like Bustos, I think he's going to play and he's going to be huge beat as a 10 or as an inverted right winger or whatever the heck they decided it's best for him. But I guess we'll, we'll, we'll talk about returnees or do we want to talk about Bustos before maybe talking about someone like Marcel Dion? Well, yeah, no, I think we'll get back to Bustos, but just something I wanted to bring up. And I think, you know, some people maybe have forgotten about is, you know, Marcel Dion was going to be huge for Pacific last year and, you know, such a, such a tough injury to have and such a good, feel good story now that 
Uh, De Jong's going to be coming back. And obviously he's been doing a ton of great things off the pitch in terms of player representation. And we all saw with the Whitecaps, the positives he had to bring to the table. And I, I just think that that's a, you know, it feels like a new signing for Pacific because they never really got to experience his impact to the level they would have liked last year. And so I'm, I think he very much fits into what they're trying to do and, you know, will provide Pama Duka with a lot of help in terms of veteran leadership. And I, I just don't think you can overstate that because yeah, there's a bunch of exciting new players brought in maybe flashier names, but De Jong's going to have a big impact on the way, as you said, the youngest team in MLS is kind of able to CPL. perform and oh, sorry. Yeah. I do. We do too much of this. I, and I get into the, <laughs> into the MLS zone sometimes, but yeah, I just think that Diong's leadership is going to going to make a big impact on this young team. Well, I think he's already it seems like he's going to be a second head coach for Pacific. I mean, he's 33, he's played under he's played with Ka and, you know, quality player still. Obviously we'll be curious to see how his mobility is affected by that Achilles injury mobility was starting to be a, a bit of a concern but if he can keep getting up the field as he showed in his cameos in the return from injury last year I think he's going to be huge for Pacific and I think this extended offseason will be huge for will have been huge for him to have gotten you know gotten fit and I think it would with the young just having that veteran experience on a team full of 20 21 22 23 year olds is huge because you look at that lineup it's pretty much going to be De Jong and it's going to be Dixon. I think Dixon is a, he's 30, if I'm not mistaken. I'll, I'll get back to you on that. He's 31. And then aside from that, the next oldest player are a pair of 94s and 93. And then the rest are all 95s and, uh, and, 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 and younger. So like, that's a young team for Pacific. Like most other guys are between 20 and 25. So having someone who's been there and done that, like De Jong, it's going to be, cannot be understated what he can bring to the to Pacific. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, and from that, we want to move up the pitch a bit. And I don't know, where do you want to go from here for guys we haven't touched on just yet? I definitely want to talk about Bustos. I feel like he's going to be an interesting piece to watch just because he's so unique as a player. I think talent-wise, he's one of the best in the in the league already. Like we talk about Levi, Bustos is definitely up there as well. But with him, he's such a unique player. He's almost like it's hard to say but he's woefully one-footed he's very left-footed but his left foot is so good and he's like good to the point where it's like you can put him onto his right and he'll still get onto his left and punish you and that's always dangerous to have and you know especially in a good pacific team if they can free up space for his left foot he's gonna be you know he's gonna be a handful for for defenders and he's passing his shooting he's kind of that number 10 who can make a difference in both in goal scoring and assisting wise. And when you have someone like Taron Campbell and Alejandro Diaz up top, I think Bustos is going to be key in being that X factor. He's maybe not going to be a guy who links the lines together, but if he can get him isolated in between them, he's going to be huge. I guess one question I, I have kind of uh, switching back to, do, do you think that center back depth or center back quality is that like the if we're trying to pick holes in this pacific squad is that the is that the area where there's the most concern or, or is there another spot where you kind of go if we're looking for question marks that's where you'd point to with pacific with center backs yeah do you do you like if there's a position that has you know the biggest level of concern is it is it oh, the center uh, absolutely back position? center backs 
And and absolutely, like, do, I think do, it do showed how, last year. Yeah, what is your level of concern in that regard? Then are we are we sounding the alarm bells, or is it is it something that Pacific can work through? They had problems last year with center backs. They had injuries, and they they only had three, two or three center backs. And you know, with last year with injuries, or Matthew Baldissimo was playing center back. David Norman Jr. was playing center back. Felt like everyone who was a midfielder at one point played center. I think Alessandro Horiapur is playing center back. Obviously, now with TMG and Lucas McNaughton, I think pound for pound or whatever you know, whatever metric you want to call it, they're one of the best pairings in in CPL center back wise. But Jamar Dixon can play center back. I just worry about depth after them if there's another swath of injuries, especially in a compressed tournament like this. So it's like, who's gonna play? You're gonna move in a fullback in the center back. I look there's. God, they only have two and a half center backs. I mean, actually, I'll show to Abdu Samake. He is an option at center back. I do think that helps him because he played for Michigan. So he's a rare he's a rare NCAA guy in, uh, in CPL. Most of the guys are from U Sports. He signed directly from Michigan. And from what we've seen of him at Michigan, he's a solid center back. So I think having that as an option is, is good, but you do wonder because Dixon playing at center, he's a better CDM than he is a center back. So you do wonder if guys start to fall, what might happen as we saw last year, but I think three and a half center backs is better than the two and a half slash three they had last year. So for them, it's more about depth. If anything, I like the top end talent of their center back pool, but I do wonder about depth. And it is nice at least that the, the rest of the depth, elsewhere on the pitch is, is I think relatively high quality and kind of starting to approach those, you know, forge cavalry levels where you feel like you've got lots of good options off the bench. So that should, should bode well for them. And yeah, hopefully just those center backs can stay healthy and it doesn't, you know, expose the one kind of potential flaw in that Pacific squad. But uh, yeah, last final thoughts from you, Alex on, on Pacific players to watch things we can expect from them in this tournament. Well, yes, X Factor. I mean, Campbell, Diaz are easy picks, Bustos. For me, my guy, Zachary Verhoeven. One of my favorite players for Pacific last year. He didn't start a lot. He was a draft pick. And as the season wore along, he was an underrated player. And I think it's tough to see what's going to happen to him because Blasco and Bustos look like the early favorites to start as inverted wingers. But where does that leave Verhoeven? He's so good. He was tricky. He's fast. He's got a decent shot on him now. His crosses are immaculate. His passing is solid. For me, he's one of my most underrated players in the CPL. And I think finding a room, room for him as either a starter or as a really an early super sub, especially with the five subs rule, I want to see a lot of Verhoeven because last year, had he performed as he did in the last few months for the whole season, he was easily a seven goal, seven assist kind of player for me. He was really that versatile on the ball. But what I like about him most is that he's defensively competent as a right winger. You know, with someone like Bustos on the right wing, he's Bustos, he's kind of going to be the kind of guy that roams in and checks out defensively, which is okay if Chung can get up and down the field. But I like that Chung-Verhoven partnership. This is one of those where if Chung goes up, Verhoven can cover kind of, kind of deals, you know, and I like that having that on the wing sometimes. So I want to see a lot of Verhoven this tournament. And so I think as a final thought for me, the one thing I've kind of been toying with too is that if – either Diaz or, uh, or Campbell struggles throughout this tournament. I think you can always consider 
you know, one sole striker and then get more of those, you know, inverted winger midfielders involved and deploy either Campbell or Diaz as a super sub off the bench. So that's another tactical look you could consider because I think it's worth mentioning that as much as, you know, Diaz's pedigree and his experience in Mexico is very confidence inspiring, much like a lot of these other signings that have, you know, international signings, which have been brought into CPL this year. It's not like he's got a massive list of matches played over the last couple of seasons. And so it's going to be interesting to see how he adjusts to the new league and, you know, whether he can hit the ground running. But uh, I think for Pacific, you've got midfield options. You've got different tactical looks you can employ if one player or another doesn't perform to quite the level you're expecting. Yeah, well, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what Pacific, especially what Diaz does. But I do like with Pacific that they brought back most of their core young guys. And I think adjustment period-wise, besides Forge, they might have the least amount of adjustment. Because even a team like Cavalry lost a lot of key guys, whereas Pacific retained. Maybe they lost some of their guys like Marcus Haber, who was supposed to be big for them. Or, you know, some of the veteran pieces, even a David Norman Jr. who really looked good in his time at Pacific and some players like that, but I think like they kept most of their young spine and their young spine. What I liked about them, a lot of them grew more as this season went along. So with them, I I, I like that there's going to be familiarity, even despite the head coach gone. But on that note, well, let's go down to, I'd say, well, in our document Calvary's next, but I kind of do, I'd say we skip Calvary and go to York just to kind of keep that theme. And then it's the big two to, to wrap off our, our individual previews. So let's go down to York. York, how are we feeling? Because I feel like York, easy consensus for the top three, but I don't know, Sam, we're not very sold on that as a, as a, you know, as a prediction. I don't know. At least we're going to find out in the, at the end of the episode, but I'm not too sold on York as a top three team. Well, they've certainly been leading the league in off-season hype. I don't think there's much doubt about that. But, uh, you know, this, this was a team last season that the, the matches were just it – was, it was all over the place, right? I mean, it was wide open football – tons of chances in either direction, wild 80th to 90th minute moments, which is, you know, it, it felt like any team could, could score at any moment. And they've definitely made some improvements, but I don't know if the, if the style is going to be that much difference. It's, it just feels like a very much, you know, they're going to live, live by their offense and die by their offense. And uh, yeah, it, it's questionable whether or not the, uh, whether or not they kind of have the, the composure to, grind out results in a tournament format like this and you have to feel like maybe the condensed schedule and the fact that you're going to see a lot of teams in quick succession might not help them out a ton but uh definitely some interesting storylines some exciting new players some you know some players looking to continue on good form from last year so it's understandable why there's so much hype but i think yeah our our expectations at least between the two of us are maybe tempered in comparison to some yeah, it's with York. I like their depth. I liked their depth last year. I just really wonder about their defense. And I just wonder about, honestly, the defense and maybe, I guess, by extension, tactics. Because it's tough to say because they have these good players, especially offensively. But if they're going to defend like they did last year, they're not going to go anywhere. And, I mean, you look at their defense. Did they upgrade their defense as much as you would have hoped? I mean, not – Particularly, I mean, you got someone like Luca Gasparato still there. You got Mori Donaire. 
Diadi and Abzi there, but who's going to play alongside him at center back? Is it going to be Matthew Arnon? I guess, but you look, they don't have many defenders. They only have five defenders on the roster. For a team that struggled to keep the ball out of the net, I don't like that. I mean, I'm, I'd like the fact that they signed so many quality attackers. Like Alvaro Rivero Sanchez might be like one of the best signings in, in, in CPL, a 23-year-old straight out of the Madrid Real Madrid Academy. You look at someone like Gabriel, you know, Vascolanos. You got Michael Petrasso, Ryan Telfair. Like up top, they're stacked. You know, you, even in the midfield, they got solid pieces. It's just defensively, like, what do you want? This is, it's just an MLS roster. It's like an LA Galaxy-esque roster to me almost. It's, there's all the, you could play eight strikers. Yes, that's great. But like at a certain time, like you need, it would be nice to have more than like two actual, one or two center backs on your roster. Like that's actually shocking that they only have one or, I mean, I don't know. I'll, I'll confirm here. But from what I've seen, they only have one or two center backs on their roster. And I find that just mind boggling. Yeah, well, the the CPL preview has Roger Thompson and Luca Gasparato starting at uh, at center back, and that's not exactly you know a, a ton to write. Oh, Gasparato's good. Gasparato's Gaspar- good. He, good, but it's just he was the, an Iron Man last year. He played every minute of every game. He was solid. I worry about Thompson though. It's just you don't really have a you know clear cut center back pairing, and that's that's never really you know it would be different if you're talking about a play a team that you're kind of expecting to be a little bit farther down the CPL table, but a lot of hype about, you know, this York nine team being a contender to win it all. And I just don't know if that center back I'm not sold. screams that. And, but, but then at the other end, you know, like you mentioned, the fact that you've got Telfair, Petrasso and Vasconlios, which I'm probably, which I'm caught, probably butchering. Oh, yeah. And, and Rivero, you know, if, if you're starting the Brazilian, then, you know, Rivero's off the bench. Like, that's just, it's absurd the amount of attacking players with quality a, and, and flair that they have, right? But then there's such a dichotomy with the the back end of the of the team. And <laughs> they have like two center backs. It's, you know, he, as, as you said, huge, <laughs> huge LA Galaxy vibes. And it just feels like every match is going to be four to three. And those just aren't, it's not a consistent way to win. Well, not in a tournament. That's why I'm sold over in Edmonton over yeah. York. York, at least Edmonton, nil nils and one nils are a lot more useful in a tournament than four threes. I mean, it's I guess it's good if the tiebreakers goals four in a tie. But at the same time, it's just so risky to play so open. And maybe who knows? Jimmy Brennan is a tactical good coach, a tactically good coach, and maybe he'll find a way to massage their lack of defensive depth. Let's say and maybe have a tactical setup that sees them more conservative. But with all their attackers they have, it's just hard to see it on paper working out. It's just a team that screams like FIFA ultimate team vibes where, again, I'm sold on their attackers. It's just defensively. I, I like t- I favor teams that, that can defend. And that's why I look at someone like Forge. I think that York's offense is better than even Forge, but I just Forge is such a more way more balanced team, especially defensively. Well, and something that's interesting about York is, you know, potentially they're the best player on the entire squad is is actually their left back. And I'm not going to try to pronounce the first name, but Abzi. Diendin. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's say that again so I can get Diendin. it. Diendin. Diendin Abzi. You know, major Ali Adnan vibes. It has the potential to really kind of, you know, be a game breaker from that left back position. 
But again, this is a player who's, you know, very attack focused and not necessarily not what York needs. No, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've got plenty of attackers to have someone on that back line. Who's really more of an attacking threat than anything is, you know, it's good in a way, but it also leaves those center backs potentially even more exposed than they already might've been. And uh, you know, I guess like I'm so looking forward to watching these York matches because it's going to be oh it's going to be absolute chaos right yeah but it's just well we say that watch the first game against Ottawa be a nil nil yeah I mean it certainly could happen but uh, you know and uh, and Ottawa may end up parking the bus a little bit and just trying to absorb pressure and get out in the counter attack but uh, yeah I I don't know we. So I guess something I wanted to talk about was, do you think that after a, you know, a huge breakout campaign in 2019, can Ryan Telfair, you know, produce at the same level or even take his play to a new level in this 2020 campaign? He is an interesting one because he left York. He went back to TFC yeah. and TFC sold him to an Azerbaijani club. And then there was some issue with, payment or something and he ended up coming straight to york but they owned him now he wasn't on loan because last year he was on loan with from tfc and he was excellent but tfc just doesn't have room for him so with him i'm curious to see how that azerbaijani couple month adventure right yeah, around does, when COVID it, does it hit. A, does it affect his performance going into yeah, this year i mean he went right around when COVID hit too like it's just such a weird situation i feel if he can live up to next last year's expectations having a front three of telfair vasicolanos or whatnot and like a rivero is just absurd to me that's like on paper that might be one of the best front threes in the in the all of all of cpl it's just can telfair can telfair grow from last year and at 25 you do start to wonder if he's starting to reach his prime soon but you know i think if he can if he can continue to grow he's a unique player because He's more of a central player, but he plays on the wing. He kind of cuts in and he can play both provider and finisher. And I think for York, that's going to be huge because they've got a lot of good finishers. So having someone who's good enough as a finisher to garner attention from defenders, but allowing him to open up space for his teammates, it's going to be very important offensively for York to get some of their danger men on board. And then, uh, you know, continuing on the the Valor uh you know, raiding valor train that we've been on throughout this show. Uh, Petrasso potentially on the opposite flank or maybe coming off the bench. Just your thoughts on what he can provide to the York attack and, and you know, maybe a bit, of a, a bit of a different look on that other, from that other wide position. Well, it's, you know, with, with Petrasso, he's one of the talented players definitely on, uh, on York. And I think he's going to be huge. It'll be interesting to see where he he slots in because he's typically he was more of a right back with the impact and whatnot. And he's become more of a winger in the seat. You do wonder with York's defensive depth and offensive depth, do we see him as a fullback? You know, again to see maybe maybe it's something more to look at. Yeah, or play him as a more of a midfielder. But I think as a winger, he's very he's maybe not a pure goal scorer, even though he showed that ability. But he's going to be a good facilitator for his teammates, and he does have a pretty solid right boot on him. So I'm I'm curious to see how he interchanges. Uh, you know, on the right wing there, but or even at right back because he's a, he's quite quick. He's got a good right boot, and he's you know he's good at creating space for his teammates. And as we've kind of the theme is with York, if they can create room for their offensive teammates, boy, are they going to score goals? Yeah, and so the last guy I guess that I wanted to talk about was Gabriel Vasconlius up front, and this is again continuing on this theme of exciting yet kind of unheralded uh, 
attacking players, international players joining CPL squads. And so, you know, they, it's interesting how teams market this when, when players come, right, to a new league. It's like, oh, out of the Corinthians Academy. And obviously that sounds terrific, but, uh, you know, Vasconios is a guy who hasn't actually played for Corinthians over the last four or five seasons. He's been been loaned loaned out to various clubs and yeah and playing a lot of second division brazilian soccer and uh really the last time he saw substantial minutes was back in 2017 where he started 30 matches and he had three goals and one assist in that campaign but since has only played seven no pardon me no 11 total matches in those past three seasons so you know, you see a Brazilian 24 years old out of Corinthians and it's like, oh my goodness, how did, how did York 9 land that player? But then you, you take a little bit of a deeper look and you have to wonder why he's not seen more minutes in that second division. Uh, you have to wonder why Corinthians was willing to just let him go out on loan seemingly endlessly. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he fits in because I have no doubt that, you know, York obviously did their scouting and obviously they've seen something they like, but I, I think there's, you know, maybe some people that are kind of crowning him as a, you know, a, an automatic goal scorer and a potential yeah, no, uh, I, I'm not high sure quality I'm, impact player. What's that? I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm more sold on someone like Rivero, if anything, yeah. coming out of the La Castilla Academy versus a Corinthians Academy. Just, I think that's very premature to call the Vascalanos. Just when you look around the league, I mean, Alejandro Diaz on Pacific, yeah. Taron Campbell on Garo, returning guys, even some of the new sign. I'm just, no, I don't think Vasquez can be not on not on that level just yet. And who, who well, knows? Maybe knows? he's got the he's got the quality in him, but I think it's uh, yeah, it's a question mark as as much as anything at this point. And so it's going to be it, that that's a, a spot where you know that could really turn York into just an absolute offensive powerhouse if he's able to perform at a high level. But if, but if he can't quite put it together, I mean, York does have other attack, attacking options, but it just takes away from that potential scoring depth well, just a little bit. Well, for my X factor, I'll talk about it first and then remind me to talk about Nathan Ingham because I have a lot to say about him, the goalkeeper. But for me, my X factor has got to be, you know, it's got to be someone like either uh, Ryan Telfair up front or it's got to be someone like in the middle, Chris Manella. I think in the middle, he's he's former Ottawa, if I'm not mistaken, midfielder, or you know he's he's come in new this year uh, to join the likes of Joseph Di Chiara in the midfield. It was really good for for York last year. For me, with York, the way they play, they're gonna need to be solid in the midfield, and I think that's where Manella is gonna be. It's gonna be huge, really, for them because if they're not able to control games in the midfield, they're gonna get torched on the counter. And I think we're kind of, that's the theme with them. So for me, I want, I want to see a lot from someone like Manella or even, you know, DKR or even Murofushi Wataru, a Japanese international who's, you know, come in. He's one of, York's been, been splashing out on the, the internationals. I mean, he played, he came here last year, he was here already. And he played in the midfielders, midfield, scored three goals and was solid. I'm curious to see what him, Manella, and DiChiara can do in a midfielder. And even Manuel Aparicio, I mean, he's more of an attacking midfielder, whereas someone like DiChiara, who's more of a pure six, is going to be huge for York. But I'm curious to see what they can do with their midfield because based on their lineup, getting if they can get the midfield to control the game, get the ball to their forwards and keep the ball away from their defenders, that will be the difference between them going two and five 
and failing people's expectations or living up to them and going like six and one, for example. Well, yeah. And you have to, you have to think that in order for the center backs to be successful, the midfield's going to have to provide some support defensively. And so, you know, an, an underrated amount of pressure really lies with those midfielders and whether or not they can, you know, transition play and effectively feed the ball into those forwards. And I think, yeah, that's, that's pretty much nail on the head. I guess on that note here, as we continue to wrap up the, the minutes on this, this is a lengthy preview. So that hopefully if you guys are excited for CPL, you guys are going to, you're going to love this. And who knows, we might even have to, might even have to split it up at this point, but we're, going, we're almost at the end of the road here. So we'll, we'll, we'll soldier through Cavalry, Cavalry FC, Sam, probably the team you're most familiar with having seen them beat the white caps up close in a, up close and personal, but what are your thoughts on Cavalry? Well, if there's a team, if, if Valor was the team near the bottom of the table that lost the most impact players during the off season, Cavalry's the team that, you know, that's near the top of the table that, that really lost some important players, but it, it doesn't feel like that's, you know, sunk their team philosophy because they've got such a strong identity and it does feel like more of a plug and play approach where the system matters as much as the players at times. So, you know, Calvary still undoubtedly one of the top teams in this tournament, one of the top teams in CPL, but you can't just completely dismiss some of the players they lost in the off season because it, it is going to have an impact to some degree. Yeah, with Cavalry, they're probably one of the most well-coached teams along with Forge, and there's a reason why they did so well last year because coaching makes a huge difference. So them, it's, it's tough to see because they lost three key pieces of that spine that Tommy Wielden Jr. always talks about. For him, he's all about the spine. That's why he signed veteran center backs like Mason Trafford and his brother Jay Wielden and then also Nick Ledgerwood in the midfield and you know, Marco Carducci in goal, but they lost Julian Boucher. The number eight is huge loss for, for them. He was so electric on the ball. One of my favorite players to watch for Calvary last year. He just got things done on, on both sides of the ball. And you lose someone like Joel Waterman at the back and his passing ability going to the impact. And then you lose Dominique Malunga up top who had 12 goals. He was second. Yeah, I guess, yeah, he was tied with Campbell in the, the golden boot race there at the end. So you know, for second place. So th- those are three big pieces gone. I mean, they brought in replacements for all of them. You got higher Cordoba as a replacement for Malonga, and he's a very intriguing Peruvian international. I mean, Julian Boucher, you've Elliot Simmons as a replacement. And then for Waterman, maybe you don't have as much of a replacement at the back, but you do you still got someone like Robert Boscovich, the 22 year old uh, TFC two product who's by all accounts of people I've talked to at C. TFC, you know, TFC involved involved with TFC, they really rate him. So they've got replacements. It'll just be interesting to see how well they fit into the Cavalry system. And starting in goal, I think, you know, this is, again, kind of sounding like a broken record. It's a theme throughout CPL, but Marco Carducci providing, you know, a lot of confidence and one, one of the best goalkeepers in the CPL. I don't know, Alex, where you have him in your power rankings, but, uh, you know, that's always I mean, a good place to start is to have someone that inspires a lot of confidence at the back. You know, I mean, if you want me to go through my power rankings, I could go through them, but Carducci's number one, I think for me, I think right now my top two are Henry and Carducci. I saw a lot of people put guys who haven't played in the CPL ahead of them. And I think someone like Pantemi's top two in talent, if he can live up to it, he's in my top two. 
you look at someone like, you know, Bolia, Halifax, you look at, like, for example, I think someone on Pacific you really want to watch is Callum Irving, former Ottawa keeper, great goalkeeper. But for me, Carducci is number one. He was just so elite last year. He made Cavalry tick. Cavalry made him tick. Perfect match. There's a reason he's staying, even though he can easily go. I just think Carducci's the guy, and I think he's just, he's going to be huge for how Cavalry plays in terms of setting the tone because he's vocal. He, he sets the tone for them, and he's just such a good shot stopper. And we do wish that he could have stayed with the Whitecaps. And had Yusuf Daha been there, he maybe would have been a, a Max Crepo at this point. And so he's think, not probably going to be the next Max Crepo at this point. Sorry to cut you off. No, no worries. Uh, you know, looking through the rest of the squad, I guess the one place where I kind of found the biggest question mark was Elliot Simmons and how he's going to fit into Calvary's system. And, and I guess my question for you, Alex, is, you know, it's, it's not very easy to poke holes in this Calvary squad, but is Simmons, you know, is that one of the positions where Calvary's maybe a little bit weaker? And if he doesn't fit in super well with this high press system and he doesn't work out, is that a potential area of weakness? You know, it's, Simmons is a good sign. I think Halifax certainly felt like they were losing something in him. And it would have been interesting to see him and Louis Belangoyet work together in the midfield. But, you know, because with, with Calvary, they needed a tempo setting number eight with Boucher gun. Because I think Ledgerwood's their guy at the six. He's a veteran. He's just, he's so solid. Like, he's, he's just unbelievable. Just kind of one of like those no doubt plug and play pieces, right? Yeah, well, Ledger was like, he's 35, but he plays like he's 27. And he's just, that's the word I'd look for him, solid. And then Simmons is going to be interesting because it looks like Ledgerwood is going to probably be joined by someone like Elijah Adekug, who's a really good offensive mm-hmm. midfielder. But Simmons is going to have to be kind of that. I think that's a common theme for a lot of these new signings. For whatever reason, there's a lot of eights that I want to watch. And I think we talked about Eric and Zetterberg it's, at the it's beginning. A big, it's a big role to fill. Yeah, and it's interesting to see that in CPL that a lot of teams have brought in new number eights. I don't know if that's coincidence or not, but we talked about Eric Zetterberg earlier. We talked about some, you know, some of the other guys. For me, Elliot Simmons is kind of like that. I mean, he kind of seems like more of a, you know, more. He's maybe not like a pure eight, but I think box to box, if he can do a job along with Elijah Adekubi, I think Calvary's midfield will not lose a beat, and they're going to be a tough team to play against because. For them, it won't matter who's up top. With the way they play, they're all about their press. So it's kind of plug and play, and they're all about controlling the midfield. So it's going to be huge to see how Simmons plays. Well, and, and as you said, like Adekubi and, uh, and Ledgerwood, they play very distinct kind of defined roles. So it's then up to Simmons to kind of roam and fill in those other areas of the midfield. And it, yeah, it's just from like a tactical perspective and from just a, a fit perspective in comparison to last year in Halifax, it's definitely a player I want to track. And I don't really know exactly what to expect, but I'm excited to watch. And it'll be interesting to see how everything links together. I mean, we got, there's higher Cordova as the replacement for Malonga. There's Marcus Haber as the strikers, but it'll be interesting to see what they do on the wing. Cause they have Jordan Brown who can play, <clears throat> sorry, is a kind of a striker as a winger. And, you know, we'll be interested to see if he's a winger. I think Nico Pasquati's starting on the right wing. It'll be interesting to see, do they play Brown as a left winger, kind of out of position, or leave him on, on the bench? Do they play Oliver Minitel? It was really, he really looked good in the second half of the season for Calvary, bagged a few assists, and just looked solid. Or do you play 
someone like Sergio Camargo who's excellent as a 10, but if Elijah Adekubi is playing, there's not room for him as a 10. He's going to have to play as a le- inverted left winger. But considering how much Pasquati loves to cut in onto his left, does that kind of front three work? Kind of like we might see with Pacific. I'm interested to see how that front three works along with uh, Cordova. So the question that I have for you, Alex, given you know how complimentary overall we've been of Cavalry and the fact that although they lost a couple of players, it feels like you know they're still in relatively good stead going into this tournament. What do you see is not necessarily what you're predicting, but if there's a worst case scenario for Cavalry, like where do they bottom out? Because I feel like as much as any team in this tournament, well, maybe other than Forge, which we're going to touch on next, those two squads really have the highest ceiling. So, you know, if everything goes wrong for Cavalry at this tournament, what's the worst possible position you can see for that? I see sixth. I don't so think you, they'll bottom out. To but eight. you do. But you do think that they could. They could miss the uh, the second stage. It's tough to tell with them because. They were a good team and they really did well away last year. But you do wonder about playing away from Spruce Meadows just with how they play. I mean, I feel like playing, for example, Cavalry was good when they went away to teams because they were, they were good. But I do wonder how that impact will be for other teams. I think a Pacific playing on this turf at PEI is going to be great for Pacific because they play with a lot of the ball at their feet. Whereas Cavalry, they're such a versatile team where – even when their conditions at their home pitch are atrocious, they're really good at making other teams play their way at home. And that's why they had such a good home record. And I think, you know, it's hard to say with, with Calvary. I just think the way there they are some holes there. So it's really going to see how good can Tommy Wielden Jr. Coach this team and get out of this team. So with them, it's, I'd say six is the worst case. They're good enough where they're not going to, even if they play bad, I think they can get some results. But I just don't think they're going to play bad. I just yeah. don't think they're built to play bad. They're such a consistent team. It's going to come down to bounces and scoring. I think with Carducci and Gola, at most, they're going to allow one or two a game at most. And that's like if, if things go wrong. So it's as long as they can make sure to score that one or two goals a game, and that's going to be okay as Cordova, Pasquati, and you know, Camargo enough to, you know, instead of a Malonga, we'll find out. I think that's going to be the difference for me because I don't think they're going to lose many games, but they could easily fall into a trap of ties if, you know, they don't score enough goals with how good defensively they are. Yeah, because that was that was kind of the question I was considering is I, I couldn't really imagine a scenario where Cavalry doesn't get out of the first stage. It just feels like the team's so solid and, you know, so complete, especially – defensively and in goal that you just you can't imagine them flaming out in this tournament and and yeah I think they're as as much as any team you know and maybe even maybe even up against Forge they might you know have the in my opinion the highest ceiling just based on the coaching and the system and the way everyone kind of fits into that well for me my last point on Calvary at least x-factor wise I want to know where Dominic Zator plays because he played a lot of center back last year, but then kind of as Waterman started to break out more, he played a lot at right back. And now with center back depth being as it is, I mean, they still got John. Um, I'm going to go through. They have Mason Traff- Trafford and uh, Jonathan Wielden. Sorry, Jonathan Wielden. Yeah. And also Robert Boscovich. Those are good center back options. And Zatori's a really good center back, but he was also a really good right back. And right back is a position of question. I mean, there's Dean Northover, who's a, former Foothills who played for them a bit last year before 
injury trouble. So he can play right back, allowing Zator to play the center back. But given how good Zator was at right back, I'd be curious to see if he gets to have that free role because he's a good ball playing, dribbling center back, which is rare. You don't see a good dribbling center back and he's a good crosser of the ball. So what might it, might it be best for him to play right back? I'm curious to see, because for me, he's definitely a, both the defensive and offensive uh, X factor based on how he plays. Zator is one of those guys where if you just kind of like look at the profile of the player, you're like, Oh, like, you know, traditional physical center back that's probably not that good on the ball and then you see him in person that's dribbling like, whoa is that is, is those are you know midfielder attacker quality quality moves on the ball and so i'm i definitely back him playing out at right back because i think that gives him the biggest opportunity to you know show off his creative side but then again i don't know you know where exactly some of those other center backs on the roster raid and how the coaching staff feels about that. But I think just selfishly to get to watch Sator show off his flair from time to time, I'd like to see him out in a wide area. Yeah, no, I just, I'm curious to see where Zator shot shines in. Cause I feel like he'd be huge at center back too, just cause between Mason Trapford and uh, Jonathan Wielden, there's maybe a lack of mobility there, but at the same time, like, Zator is a quality right back. So it's, it's going to be kind of pick your, yeah. pick not pick your poison, but, but pick good problems best. to have. Good problems to have. But I guess on that note, Forge, the defending champions, the last of this long parade of previews. What are we, what are we thinking about Forge uh, heading in a day away from their start? Oh man. I mean, yeah, if we're talking about teams with a, with a high floor, like Forge just, you know, there's such depth at every position and, uh, you know, even losing one of, if not the best player in, in the Canadian Premier League last year, just doesn't feel like, you know, doesn't feel like they've really felt that hit too, too much. And so I'm, I'm very interested to see how they, how they pan out, but yeah, it's, it's hard to, you know, hard to have a hot take or say that, that you think Forge is going to struggle in this tournament. Cause I can't really see how that would happen to be honest. Plus with Forge, they're so balanced. And like, obviously losing Tristan Borges is just not an easy player to relate uh, to replace. Sorry, I don't, I don't think that's, we'll pretend that. But then you look throughout their lineup, they kept pretty much everyone else, all of their pieces. And then they added guys like Maxime Tissot. They added guys like, you know, well, we're going to get into him more later, but um, what's the what's the name? Uh, Pablo, Paulo Sabak, the, the Ghent product they added a guy like Mo Bobuli who's it you know as much as I was saying he's not I'm not expecting much because he played indoor soccer but at the same time he's a very intriguing piece to have off of the bench well and you're not you're not relying on him massively to you know be the centerpiece of your squad he's gonna play 10 minutes a game and he might score a bunch of goals he might not they don't need him to and they got even a guy like Gabriel Balbonati who's one of their underrated draft picks i feel like in the whole league they got a really good piece in balbonati he was very good for the eventual champions uh i think uqtr trois rivieres he was a huge piece for them and he can play off the bench like their depth is for me it's the depth like with them they'll be able to rotate they'll be able to have use the five subs rule without a sweat and that's really where i see them dominating this tournament their defensive depth is awesome. And with Tristan Henry in, in goal as well, which, uh, you know, is a, he's a rising goalkeeping prospect. Uh, it just, yeah, it feels like you could almost go platoon style with their defensive players, like just 
throw anyone in there and you're, you're relatively confident. I mean, if David Edgar can, you know, stay healthy and, and still show some, some movement at his advanced age, uh, you know, he's problems that he's had. Yeah. But if, but you know, when he's fit, he's a, he's he's a high quality center back, but you're not even relying on that necessarily because you've got other guys that can fill in. I mean, you've got Kyle Becker in the midfield who just, you know, stirs the drink and provides that leadership presence and, you know, has a lot of experience and yeah, you can just go on and on and on. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of good notes about this team and, and not a lot of, not a lot of positions where you go, gosh, I, I don't know how that's going to work out, but the, the Tristan Borges replacement in Paolo Sabak is maybe one of those where, you know, the pedigree is there, but uh, it, it's again, another kind of unproven commodity, but I think, if there's a situation where you can go in and, and thrive, it's probably with Forge. Yeah, exactly. There's going to be no pressure on Sabak. If anything, it's going to be more pressure on returning guys. Someone like Anthony Novak at, num- at the number nine, who was good last year, but he just couldn't finish to save his life. He's going to be huge for them. Someone like Chris Nanka, who really started to break out as the season went along on the left, he's going to be huge for them. You know, guys like that, I feel like are more going to be the, the guys to watch guys who return just because they had so many returnees, but with Forge, it's hard to see them conceding goals with that Edgar Crutzen pair, probably the best pair, I think, honestly. Yeah, the best pair, I'm going to say right now, best center back pair in the league. But in front of a Tristan Henry, like, that's just not fair. Like, Tristan Henry, is he's a great goalkeeper to have that sort of depth. And then you have a guy like Maxine Tissot at left back. Kwame Awa can also play left back in the midfield. You got Jonathan Grant as another center back option. You know, it's just... You, and Dominic Samuel, sorry, as well. And there's just so many – sorry, Jonathan Grant and Dominic Samuel. I might have mixed them two up right there. But they're both solid center backs and fullbacks. It's just you look at the wealth of depth. It's just I, – I, it's hard to see Forge conceding many goals. And then offensively, I mean, midfield-wise, that Kyle Becker and Alexander Ancinati-Johnson pair is one of the best pivots in the league. And then, you know, they have guys like LMNC say you can play anywhere in the lineup. you got a guy like Kwame Awa can also play anywhere in the lineup. you got, you know, you've got Grant, both Novak and Marcel Zajac, who's also a really good striker, up platoon up top. you got Schwanier, who scored the, not the winning goal of the CPL final, but like the, the conclusive goal of the CPL finals. He started to play a lot more off the bench. He's a winger option. Cadell Thomas, the guy who scored the worldly of a goal that saw, put CPL on 4-3-3 when he undressed like four defenders and scored a chip from behind the goal line almost. He's a winger option. You got Mo Babuli off the bench. Like their depth is just absurd. And I think maybe the, the only complaint is there's a lack of top-end talent with Borges gone up top, but I do think there are enough players that could potentially fill that mantle. Yeah. I, I was going to kind of lead off next by saying, I think this is the only team in the CPL where there aren't really any big question marks. You've got depth, you've got attacking players, you've got midfielders, you've got defenders, you have a quality keeper. Like you've, you you've have a great con- coach too. And you've Bobby's kind of got knows. it all worked out. You have a lot of returning players you have last season success to build off of. Like, it feels like all the pieces are there. So the only thing I present is this weird tournament format, condensed schedule, you know, neutral environment. That's the only thing that can really sink this forge team is just, you know, the craziness we saw with MLS's back. Like I don't think anyone had Orlando pegged to go to the final, but it can happen. So 
I think with a team like Forge, it's just a, it's just a matter of do the, does the craziness of the format. But, but there's a lot more predictability in this Island I'd Games say, format. The cream I'd will rise in the, the top more probably, right? Yeah, no, I don't know. I'd say with the MLS is proper. Group stage, yes, it was easier to predict. Maybe because it was three games. And obviously, yeah. it's still there were surprises like Orlando and Cincy and Atlanta not going through and what Red Bull's not going through for example, and Whitecap sneaking through on the last day. But with this format, I think the mm-hmm. especially in the first round, it's hard not to see the top four teams go through because they all play each other. There's no hidden teams. There's no teams that are playing bad teams and kind of, you know, you know, just sneaking their way to the final. Everyone's going to play each other. There's no hiding. We're going to see who the best teams are. I think in this format, Forge is built to dominate the first two rounds. And if anything, I could see them maybe – falling in the one leg final if anything but it's hard it would be something short of a miracle if they don't make it to the final yeah the final is definitely you know the highest degree of of chaos or potential vulnerability but uh but you know all it takes is one or two bad results in that second stage to to derail you so anything is possible but i'm i am grasping at straws a little bit just trying (laughs) to make a case of opposition against this forge team not really because i i believe in it but just for the sake of argument yeah i think I i don't know unless you have any final points on forge like i think that brings us pretty much to our final prediction stage of this podcast yeah, I think that's about it. I mean, everyone at this point, there's no hide, hidden secrets with Forge anyway. So if there's a team that listeners probably know, it's definitely, I feel like at this stage, it's Forge. So I think what we should do for this prediction stage is let's start from the bottom and work our way to the top. So we're going to okay. start with the eighth place finisher in this Island Games CPL is back tournament to, ste- to steal from MLS. Eight. Wow. I have my top four. I have to figure out my order for the Oh eight. yeah, you you've got to do the full eight. You don't don't get away with uh, uh, j- uh just the top four. So in eighth position for myself, and I don't think this is a huge surprise, it's Athletico Ottawa. Yeah, I'd like to put someone else there. But I'll I just I just can't do it. I can't I'll do put it. Ottawa. I'll put Ottawa. There's I'll- just, you know, it's just it's too much too soon and it's gonna be a tough tournament for them, but I, I think it's a good growth opportunity and I'm, I'm optimistic about the future. I just don't think it's right now. So seventh, who do you have in seventh? Seventh position. As yeah. much as I really want to back this team and it hurts me a little bit. Valor FC. Valor. Okay. Well, I'm going to go. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to go into the hot takes realm. This is my first hot take. I think I'm going to put Halifax at seventh. Interesting. Interesting. I just don't think, I think they're a good team, but they're just going to struggle to piece it together in this tournament. I like what they're doing long-term. I like Steven Hart as a coach, but I just last year from what I've seen in some of their signings, I like their sign. I just see seventh for them. That's my prediction. Hot. Just, just feels like maybe they'll struggle to put it together. Yeah. It's fair. Okay. Let's move on to sixth. 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 I have FC Edmonton. Interesting. You're not sold on the Edmonton? I, I like the backbone. I like the structure. I don't think their attacking pieces are going to come together the way they want them to. Well, I have Valor. I'll have Valor. I, I like, you know, again, we kind of, with Valor, there's just too many question marks. I think they're going to surprise and finish sixth, but it's hard to see them making a push into the top five. And that, that seems like a decent campaign for them because i think you're just looking to kind of 
improve on last season. And, you know, if, if there's some promising signs out of, out of valor, I think that would be, that would be a feel good story. Um, okay. So what we're moving on to, this is fifth now, correct? Yes. And I think this may be my hottest take. Well, it's probably going to be mine as well. And I think we might both have the same hot take. Is York, it York? York nine. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to put him in six. I'm like, okay, that's harsh. I'll put him in fifth. Yeah. So that's funny. We're both on the same page there. We did not <laughs> confer on these predictions before the show. So no, no, this is pure no, guesswork. Yeah. Or, no, no conspiring there. No, uh, no gerrymandering. So uh, we're, we're we're either gonna look like we're gonna get exposed as fools, <laughs> and the rest of the league are gonna look smart, or we're gonna look like the two geniuses while the rest of the league looks foolish. So yeah. So for for anyone I mean, who's I, a, I, for anyone who's a huge NFL fan, like. The York, York Nine feels very Cleveland Browns over the last couple of years to me, where the hype's just been immeasurable coming into the season. And then you see a couple of games and you're like, oh yeah, not that much actually changed. This is still kind of the same team as before. And so, yeah, I don't know. I just don't think that the, the LA Galaxy guns it's, blazing style is going to fit. Gonna work. It's just not going to work in this tournament, it's, it's in tough, my opinion. I like their players. I just don't. I look at that puzzle yeah. and I'm more sold as, as we'll see in a bit, I'm more sold, maybe call it bias or whatnot, but I'm sold on someone like Pacific where I see balance in their squad. If we're like, cause I feel like Pacific and York are the two consensus. The consensus of the tiers is kind of forge cavalry and then kind of York and Pacific is third and fourth. I look at Pacific and York, maybe York has more talent, but Pacific is more of a roster and that makes a big deal. And that's why, I have Edmonton in the top four. They have more of a roster to me. I'm more sold on the idea of having a, a complete roster and I'm more sold on defensive teams and tournaments. I think they typically, there's especially always one that grinds their way through. And for me, that's going to be Edmonton. And we'll, we'll hear that in a, in a second, I guess. But, you know, I'm just, the York model just doesn't, I look at that roster, there's just too many holes. And the fact that they have one and a half center backs or two center backs, whatever you want to call it, just <laughs> scares the living daylights out of me as a, if I was a York fan. So I guess unless there's uh, any huge surprises here, I'm assuming that both our kind of dark horses to get into the top four are seated at the fourth position. So for myself, it's uh, it's the Wanderers at number four. Wanderers. Well, I'm torn on this one. I haven't, I haven't, because I'm kind of going out with the flow here. I might have Cavalry as my fourth place. I think they're going to etch wow. in. They're going to make it more, you know, maybe a little, a little harder than they needed it to be. Very interesting. So I'll put Cavalry as the fourth place team, but I'll, I'll full disclosure. My third place team is Edmonton. Yeah. I'll just say it's really close and Edmonton maybe etches it out on goal difference or something. Cause Cavalry just had a bad game or something. It's interesting in though, because I was flirting with this too. Cavalry was my team that was, that was going to fall a little bit from, you know, in comparison to expectations in addition to New York nine and so I was toying with the idea of putting Wanderers at third, but I, I just felt like that was a little bit much for, for you know, I, I expect Wanderers to more sneak into fourth than to just mm-hmm. boss it into I fourth. I could feel that. I feel so, that. So I still have Cavalry at third. Well, I have Edmonton at third. I just, I don't want to suck up the Edmonton yeah, what, too what's much. Your, what's your piece? If you're, if you're trying to get people aboard the Edmonton train, what's, Edmonton what's, train? what's your sales pitch? My sales pitch is just that defensive teams always perform in tournaments. I look at Cincinnati at MLS's back. They're giving me a lot of Cincinnati vibes. They have a really good coach. They have the best center back in the league. 
They have a goalie who maybe is not the mo- the best set goalie in the league, but he's definitely an underrated goalie in Connor James. They have the fullback depth. They have solid defensive midfielders. I just look at their spine. And I just see it hard for them to concede. And I think we sh- they showed that last year. I-, I think they finished fourth behind York, but they had some of the best results. They, they-, they really were a team that troubled the Cavalry and Forge maybe more than, than York did because York kind of was a team, okay, We'll, we'll beat other teams around us, but maybe we'll struggle to beat the top teams. As Edmonton was more, we struggled to beat the, the bottom teams, but we make noise against the big teams. I just like that about them. And I think if I, I'm sold on Angaro, it's just for me, I don't need, I, as we kind of said in the preview, with them, the question is how are they going to score? And I do worry about that. But with them, they're so good defensively that it's not an issue to me if they don't score as much. I feel, they're really giving me that Cincy vibes. That's why I could see them just kind of like casually win. Especially, they're gonna, I, I feel like they could win against an Ottawa, against a, a, a York. They could win against a Valor. They could win against a Halifax. And all of a sudden, that's, uh, that's four. That's 12 points. That's already put you in really good stead. And even if they lose against Forge and draw or lose against their rivals, Cavalry, and even losing against the Pacific, that's put them in a good spot right away. You know, I, I just I, that's why I'm sold on Edmonton. I feel like they're going to sneak their way up the table. And all of a sudden, it's going to be, how do they end up in third? I mean, maybe I realistically, maybe fourth is more of a shout, but I do think they'll sneak their way up. So this means that both... Both of us have Pacific and Forge as the top two teams from the first stage. So the question which remains is, what order is that in? And um, I'm Pacific number two. I'm sorry. I I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry team. to Pacific fans. I can't do it. But Pacific I can't sell myself against is that number Forge two. team. And maybe it's biased because Forge and Pacific are the two teams that I'm cover. I cover, so they're the most teams I'm most familiar with. But I'm just... Yeah, Pacific's going to be really good and I feel like they're going to trouble every team but that Forge team is scary but it's interesting that through that first round our, our predictions really followed a very similar model with York 9 and Cavalry falling a little bit and one kind of unheralded team moving Seeking up the charts up. into the top four so then I guess the question from there is which are the two teams that, that in get eliminated in that second fine, that second group stage? And, and f- first of all, what order do, do three and four place before we get to the final matchup? My three or four, that's tough. I think Pacific, they're going to drop for me from second to, let's say, fourth. I just think Pacific, they're going to win a lot of games early. And then what happens with the young teams that contend to, to flame out. I, I don't think that's maybe, I, well, I mean, it would be nice if Pacific made a run to the final. I think it would be fun to watch. I just feel like when the big games get ho- going, that is always a concern with the younger, a younger team. So, you know, again, these are predictions. These aren't an indication of what I think of your team, but I think uh, Pacific fourth, I put them fourth. And so for me coming out of the second group stage, I have cavalry in fourth position. Wow. That's hot. That's, that's really yeah, He's gone I, for it. I don't know. We're just. I think that there's there's good. There has to be some level of unpredictability in this tournament, and I I don't know. I just I have this I have this sneaking suspicion that the the magic from last year and a bit of a you know a bit of a regular season hangover might you know might befall the cavalry, and that's not necessarily a a condemnation of any one specific person or one specific player, one specific coach. It's just kind of a, a gut feeling I have. And so I'm going to go with that. Well, who's, who do you have in third then? 
Halifax. I mean, that's the, oh. the dream. The dream run comes to an end in the second group stage. I couldn't quite put them in the final, uh, but I think they're going to make some noise. I think that some of their new players are, are going to make an impact. And I think it's, it's going to be a team that surprises. And, you know, when they finish in seventh or eighth, they'll be dead wrong. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I've, got, I've got some good vibes about the Wanderers. Well, this is where I'm going to go hot take. And Cavalry fans may actually think I've lost it. And I think I might have with this. But this is a tournament. There's always a dark course. I mean, this, is my, this, is, this team is going to be my Orlando. And I'm going to have Cavalry in third. Yeah, Edmonton's going to the, the final. <laughs> I love it. I They're love my it, Orlando. They're my Orlando. I'm sold on the Edmonton so, train. So we have Forge in the final. That's just kind of a foregone conclusion, it feels like. <laughs> but my final matchup is Pacific. Oh, FC wow. against Forge, and you've that, got FC Edmonton against Edmonton Forge. Forge. So those are two pretty interesting finals. I think I'd sign up for either of those, to be honest. But the big question is, Alex, does Edmonton complete the dream run? No, I've seen this story too many times. They're going to lose 2-0, kind of like or, – or maybe not like Orlando. They're going to lose like a 31, kind of like classic underdog, like the Croatia, like the Orlando City. It's that team that makes it to the final, and they fall just short. Unfortunately, Edmonton, I feel like a maybe against Forge, like a 3-1 where they keep it tight defensively. They push for goals and Forge just punishes them kind of like they did against Calvary. And, and so I may have, uh, may have kind of buried the lead in my analysis, but you know what? One game final, anything can happen. I'm taking Pacific. And I think that, oh, I think that Campbell and Diaz are going to – it's going to work. You've got so many midfield creators and attacking options – you know, Pacific, it, even I could see them, even though I've put them second in the first group stage, I could see them struggling a bit off the bat and being down in third or fourth. But I think that if they can manage to get through in a one-game final, I just think that's the only chance that you have to catch Forge being maybe a little bit vulnerable is that one-game final because they're just too good, too consistent throughout those other stages. They're not going to bow out early. But – one match, anything can happen. I mean, I don't know if I'd put money on it, but in this hypothetical, <laughs> in this hypothetical world, I'm going for it. Pamaduka just, you know, lifting Pacific to a to a CPL championship. So that's that, that's hot. I like it though. I like. It. I mean, that's hot. Who would have Edmonton or Pacific? Watch it be an Edmonton Pacific final. We joke, but <laughs> that would be really a real test of our <laughs> our predictions, but. It's interesting to see. We're not sold on Ottawa. We're both decently sold on Valor, but not that sold on Valor. Where you're we're, really we're sold opti- on. We're optimistic about Valor long term, but it just doesn't feel like it's going to happen right now. Yeah, and you're really optimistic about Halifax, whereas I have them in seventh. So yeah. the, the, there's a variance in opinion there. I am sold on Pacific in the first round. We're both not sold on York, and we're both not sold on Cavalry. But obviously the, Edmonton and you're not. So the level of expectations there, like not being sold on cavalry is, you know, doesn't mean the same as not being sold on York. Like the, the, yeah. the floors are in a bit of a different position, but yeah, it's interesting. I almost had FC Edmonton in seventh. So it was wow. almost the same as you wow. where you kind of had that. Well, same as me with Halifax. So really we're, we're obviously reading those well, two be interesting teams to see. very differently. So uh, well, we're that'll be to put money on it. 
I'd have yeah. to put money on Halifax versus Halifax like versus Edmonton. We'd have to see which of the two does better. That's gonna be the third <laughs> the third sub derby. <laughs> it's gonna MC be Edmonton Halifax versus, versus Edmonton. Halifax. And I, I don't be, I don't know. Those I think, are our two, like, I think with that, I mean, unless you have unless you have any last thoughts, that pretty much brings an end to this uh, very very extended Canadian Premier League Island Games preview. But I, I think that was a ton of fun. I am now you know, as much as we in the last episode of the third sub kind of complained a bit about the kits and about the schedule. I'm excited. Now it's like the excitement is fully built and I am just so ready to watch some Canadian Premier League soccer and, and diving into all these teams, finding those little storylines that track is just going to make it so much more interesting. And so I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, I think that's how I feel about it as well. I mean, It'll be hard to follow the games. I might end up watching a little more games on demand than I end up, but especially I might be going camping during the in a week or two, so I might again be off the grid and miss some of the games. But as much as I can watch, I will want to watch. Kind of like MLS with MLS, I was I was hyped about MLS because it was you know I was hyped about what the Whitecaps could do, and there's a lot of youngsters. But I ended up watching a lot more of the games than I thought I would. I just sometimes I turn on the TV and just watch these teams play and learn about them and I want to do the same with the CPL and learn about I want to tune into FC Edmonton games and see if I'm my hype for them is completely justified I want to watch Halifax play I want to watch I want to watch these teams play so I want to I want to see how the heck York puts that roster together because I guess this what will this what will what this will teach us is the of what on paper can teach us and what last year's results can teach us I feel like for a lot of our predictions, it's a combo of what happened last year and what rosters look like in paper. So if York ends up doing as good as everyone says, it'll show us that maybe on paper, having not having that defensive depth isn't as important as we think. But then again, it could also teach us maybe you need more than one actual center back. So it's going to be interesting to see if our predictions models are efficient enough to, to, maybe, to maybe tout about in future, uh, future prediction episodes. Yeah, and, and if you've got a, a prediction, you know, wild or, or maybe a little more tame for this Island Games tournament, uh, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Samuel underscore rowboat on Twitter and at 86forever.com, where hopefully we're going to be bringing out some, some CPL coverage as well, even though that's not traditionally been our lane. We're looking to, we're looking to swerve into a little bit of CPL talk on, uh, on the SB Nation platform as well. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. And Alex, kick it over to you. Yeah, Twitter, at Alex Kongerusik, at BTSVancity, BTSVancity.com. I'm going to put out a preview later today, more similar to kind of this, but more written form, maybe. Um, maybe with some players to watch, whatnot. And then from there, I'll be mostly covering Pacific and Forge and maybe whatever the heck else interests me. Really honest, I don't know what I'm going to do. With the MLS's back, it was kind of white caps or bust. And maybe if the Canadian teams went further, I would have covered them a bit. But now with CPL, I feel like I have a clean slate. I want to cover as much of this as I can. So don't be surprised if I do end a lot. I do end up doing a lot more, but it'll also depend on the white caps because obviously Sam and I would cover a lot more of the white caps. So if the white caps finally announce something, maybe we'll end up being more on the white caps. But I do want to cover as much of the CPL as, as possible. Yeah, really looking forward to the matches and looking forward to either you know, being proven very wrong or very right by our predictions today. And so looking forward to that and looking forward to, you know, chatting about it more as this tournament gets booted off and 
and we get to see some live CPL action. Up the bunnies, FC Edmonton. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone.